When did you stop crying and why? If you were a toilet bowl, you would get a plunger to, to unblock you. You were created to cry. When I grew up, I mean, I can only share my life, so that's why I do. Um, I can't share yours. Um, when I grew up, my parents were pretty distant. And in South Africa at the time, we had nannies, and I was raised by a nanny. And I don't remember crying very much at all. My dog was killed. Was, we were playing cricket, and the dog was run over and came running up to me, and I must have been about eight or nine years old, and I went in to tell my mother, and she said, John, you can cry, and I didn't. I just walked on. When I was about 20 after my mother had died, and I basically lived my teenage years in anger, I used to pride myself and say, I haven't cried. I don't remember crying. Because I learned how to not deal with pain by just getting angry and then just shutting down. And I thought at that time it was quite mature. And the day I asked God to help me to cry was actually on the church across the road, across the, at St. Albans. When I knew that a lot of my defensiveness and my sarcasm and stuff was my defenses, and I said, God, if I'm going to speak in front of people and I'm going to joke around, I think I need to be able to cry as well as smile. And I've told you this before. There was, um, and so I said, I want to be able to access all those emotions, even though I'm a little scared of them. And it was at the funeral of Fred Austin, who was a pastor here uh, he died a couple of years ago, at 104, I think. Um, his wife died, and Dorothy. And I took her funeral at St. Albans at the time. And St. Albans, we'd been there about four or five years, and the church had sort of split because half of the people didn't like talking about Jesus and didn't like guitars, so they all went to the other Anglican church, which is now Yates Memorial, which is quite apt. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to be polite about it. It is. There's a eventual point where you deny God enough, you will die, and you will be there. That's where you go. Um, and, and I looked out across the people who were at that service, and I, and I remember saying, you know, the one thing that would honor Dorothy most would be for us to actually just walk together. And I cried then. I choked up and I cried. And I knew exactly why I was doing it. I was crying actually over the brokenness of the church, not over her death. And, you know, it's become something a lot easier and a lot... Um, I mean, I cry over Susan Boyle now. I love tears. I have been in tears in all kinds of situations among you here. There was a time I was at, a, at um, Boston Pizza. I think it was a, maybe the first year we had got together. And we had a guy from the Anglican Mission. I know Fred was there. I don't know if you were there, Ken, or not. But, I mean... I was talking about my pain in the church and I just sobbed. I just absolutely sobbed at Boston Pizza because I didn't know there was so much pain still there. And I just want to encourage us today. I say why it's so simple to hear God is that um, pay attention to what you're thinking and feeling. And God will accelerate through you like you've never known. We are praying prayers that we're continually waiting on God to answer. And he's going, you've got three yeses. But you have to step into what I've said yes to. 
Remember the people he said out of, they, they, were, they were set free from slavery in Egypt. And it was years and I mean, 400 years they were crying out. And he goes, yes. Then they have to do this journey through the wilderness. And they get to the promised land and they send out scouts. And then they all come back and two of them say, let's take it. And 10 of them say, whoa, it's not what we thought. There are giants in there. That is where most of us stop. Because the thing that you are crying out for, there are things there that you have to overcome that look like giants. And you're waiting for God to kind of prepare the way and bring the limo and have the meals on wheels and it's all ready and I feel bold. And he goes, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Which is good news because now you're in touch with where you feel you are anyway, which it doesn't look really hopeful. He says, it's, it's, it's more hopeful than you know, but you can't do it on your own. So you're going to need company and you're going to need people walking with you because the reason why you don't cry is either you're so hurt that you've shut down or you're so proud that you won't allow anything to happen. I'll show you. If you look in uh, Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, we're just going to skim through maybe a chapter and a half, half. Jesus is uh, This is in verse 29 following. Jesus is actually in the hills around Galilee. And he says in verse 29 that, that he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And there were great crowds who came to him. And what did they do? They came to him expecting something. So they brought the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others. And he laid them at his feet and he healed them. I mean, this is the God that I want to know here. Where everyone brought to him, he healed them. If we got 10% of that, we would have to build another building. People are hungry and they're hurting. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Susan Boyles who have not got discovered or who are delaying things for so, so long. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they praised God. They said, only God can do this. You know what other way would, t- would, would, would blast open the ways of the church? We say, oh God, bring people here. And he says, go out and declare who God is. The trouble is most Christians are screwed up as the people who say they don't know God. So they walk around saying, I believe in Jesus. Look what Jesus did for me. And they go, I don't want what, I remember that. I remember at university, if this is what you've done for them, I don't want it. Because they don't look, they look all anal and tied up and He's scared of doing anything. They don't dance. They don't smoke. They don't kiss. They don't. What do they do? They read the Bible. Oh, great. It wasn't compelling because they were locked up themselves. And so these guys, they saw what Jesus did and they were amazed and they went out. And then Jesus, in verse 32, calls his disciples to him. And he looks at these people and he says, I have compassion on them. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't, know what's, I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse. You kind of go, Jesus, you've already healed them. Now you want to feed them? Isn't that enough? I mean, the lame of can walk now. They can go to the cafe themselves. But God is lavish. He's not, I don't want to heal them. I want to bless them. I want to do everything. So the first hint is when Jesus became human and he lived among us and he was old enough to take on the mission at 30 years old, he did not sort of get up one morning in Nazareth and say, Mom, I think it's the day, and then wander 
through the valleys and the hills, communing with God and smiling, touching the babies. And that was it. He didn't say nothing. He released what was in him and he spoke. This is so simple, it's 101, but I promise you it can change your life. He spoke. The baby cries instinctively and you and I are called to be those who let out what's inside. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's the problem. It's also the key. So Jesus looked around and he said, these guys are hungry. I have compassion on them. So what did he do? Oh God, I pray that you will just enable the disciples to know intuitively what I'm thinking. No, he just said, I have compassion on them. Why don't we feed them? The disciples, what did they do? Well, if they were like many Christian churches, they would just be silent. And they go, oh shoot, what's he up to now? No, the disciples who were in Jesus' presence went, excuse me, Jesus, but, you know, how on earth are we going to do this? This is prayer, by the way. So what's the good news? You can talk back to God. You can actually talk to him. You can actually speak out loud and say, I think what you're saying right now is nonsense. And he'll smile at you because he gets you. And he knows that you haven't got a clue half the time. But he loves you. And if you've got children and you've changed their diapers, he says, I can change your diaper right now. You're just scared and terrified and confused and now you're going to make a lot of noise. But I'll see you through it. I'm glad you spoke up. So what did they do? They said to him, we don't know how to do this. Where would we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Then Jesus spoke again. And he said, well, how many loaves do you have? And they go, well, not really very many. And then they found some poor kid whose mother packed him a lunch and said, well, we got this fish and bread. I mean, it's, how is this going to feed this? Got him now. And Jesus said, well, get everybody to sit down. The disciples must be going, what on earth? We've got this and he's doing that. Get them to sit down. And what does he do? This is unbelievable. You know why we don't see any miracles? We don't believe him for anything. We've shrunk wrapped Jesus down to look like us. That's why he's so miserable and boring. And we say, well, I can't believe that. Of course you can't believe it. It's unbelievable. I keep on saying, you don't even know how to use your cell phone. Get over God. You're never going to get a handle on believing how God works. But you could get a handle on saying, if you ask God, it's as simple as taking out your cell phone and saying, God, if you're there, I'd like to talk to you. I don't know how it works. But I know if I turn it on, it might ring one day. I can do that. Hi, God, if you're there, I'd like to know you. It's like turning it on, giving a ping out to him. And he goes, ah, that's John. Haven't heard of him for years. Let's get right down there. Been looking forward to talking to him. He doesn't even believe we're here. That's okay. Because I put something in his DNA that had nothing to do with him because I knew that he wouldn't know what to do with it. But I did because I made him. And he hasn't cried since he was five. And then he's wondering why he's got so many health issues and he wonders why he's so screwed up and he's gone through three marriages because he has a clue about emotions. He stuffed them down years ago. He needs a spiritual plumber to plunge the thing in and unblock all the crap. 
It's a spiritual language. <laughs> Some of us have been Christians for a long time. Man, oh man, we do need a plumber. We just paint the toilet, put stickers on it and think it's Christian. <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from, but, you know, flush it if you need to. So, Jesus told his disciples, they took the seven loaves. Jesus gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it, and the miracle happened. And the disciples went around doing stuff, and they had no idea how it happened. It was amazing. They were speechless. Now he heals the sick, and then he multiplies food. Who would have thought? And then what happens? Just skimming through this, because I'm not trying to dig on any one place. We go through to Jesus went uh, in verse 5 of chapter 16. They went across the lake and the disciples forgot to get bread. And Jesus said, be careful. And he talked to them about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was quite complicated. Verse 7, they discussed this among themselves. And they didn't really get what it was about. So they discussed among themselves and, he, and they said, uh, it's, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Jesus is sitting in the boat, letting them chat, going, oh man, they have so missed it. But I'll let them sink themselves on this one, then we'll help them. What was good about the disciples was they engaged. And they talked. And they said, did you hear what he just said? This is what I think it means. And they didn't um, wait. And they didn't... Maybe go, uh, we better pray about this somewhere where Jesus isn't present so we can find out what he means. In the moment, they responded. And they got it quite wrong. And Jesus was delighted because they were talking. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, Oh, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? And he, he goes on to, to explain something to them. And the response in verse 12, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the beast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees. They discussed it among themselves. Jesus heard them. He explained something to them, and they understood. And they said, oh, that's what you meant. Stupid me. Not really. They came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asked his disciples, Father, Jesus didn't go into the hills and say, Father, I wonder what people are thinking of me. I wonder how this message is going down. I wonder what I'm sounding like to these people. I pray for a word of knowledge. No, Jesus gathered with his disciples and he said very simply, what do people think of me? Who do they say that I am? We don't read there that they said, do you mind if we have time to pray over our answer to you? Because we don't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, they don't all think you're... I mean, we don't actually know who the heck you are. Um, can we just talk about this later? Because it's bringing up some little private personal things. I don't like conflict, Jesus. And I'm scared you might be angry with the way I, I, I answer you. Because we don't know who the heck you are. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're this. Some say that you're that. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he says, what about you? Oh, shoot, this is getting more and more difficult. It's easier to talk about what they say. And by the way, if you actually want to know God, he does this all the time, and he will do it through people. And what do you, what do you think? What do you say? 
That is the key to freedom. Answer the question. Stop avoiding the question. I don't think you're anything. I think you're this. And he says, okay, I can work with that. You see, there's no right or wrong answer to half the conversations God wants to have. It's just, tell me your truth right now. Because we can work with that. Stop posturing. Stop pretending or worrying about what the right answer is and just be authentic. Stop trying to impress me and tell me what is your thought about this question. And so he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I don't think Simon Peter almost knew what he was saying because most of the time he didn't. But I think something in his heart jumped up and jumped through his mouth. And I think it was God's spirit. And he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the God. And he said, what is that? I said, what does that mean? And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, which means little pebble. On this I will build, on this statement, I will build my church. The Catholic church has gone totally screwed on this one, but never mind. God is faithful. And most of our foundations are questionable. But the foundation of the church is the statement, you are the, Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. On that, he will build his church. And he says to Peter, and I'll take little pebbles like you, and I'll, I'll put them on the rock that is me, and together we'll build something that is unbelievable. But Peter had to speak out what was inside him to know that what he had, this time he got it right. And Peter had learned and was learning that was safe in Jesus' presence to blurt things out. And that, G. Peter is the one guy in the New Testament that blurted things out. And we get so encouraged because if Peter could say that, and Jesus didn't kill him right there, there's room for me to get it wrong. And so they have a discussion about that. And I'm, this is the last example. From that time on, Jesus, this is verse 21 of 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. When he started saying that, Peter rebuked him and said, no, you're not going to do that way. And Jesus then says to him, get behind me, Satan. In other words, he just blurted out the very opposite of what he had said before. You are the son of Messiah. Now he's saying this. And Jesus has to correct him. This is the bad news of what I'm saying. And I'm nearly finished. This is the bad news. And that is that if you're going to have a conversation, it's got to go longer than one sentence. If we're going to talk about where we, what we think and what we feel and what's inside us, we have to be willing to hear an answer back. We are living in a time and a culture where we, we live on bite-sized Twitter comments that we think that just because we feel something sincerely and we share it, there shouldn't be any discussion. That's just arrogant stupidity. I should be inviting comment on what I'm saying because I'm wanting to know, is this true or not? It's true for me, but is my, is my experience something I should trust? Or is my experience telling me that I've, I, I've got it wrong, so I, I need some help? And one of the things that God, I believe, is saying in this church right now is, I want to call up authenticity. I want you just to be real. I just want you to con have conversations with one another. I want you to have conversations, lots of conversations. And you will see incredible change happen if you actually just have conversations and allow what's inside to come out and what's outside from God to come in. 
It's not complicated. It's very, very simple. Does that make sense? I think I'll just finish with this one encouraging word, I hope. I mean, is this, is this encouraging or depressing to you? Yes, both, you mean. <laughs> Look, the encouragement is just get over yourself and, 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 and start living. Get over yourself and start speaking. Get over yourself and let people inside you and let people and let you outside. Stop being so private. And don't, don't believe your own lies, which is I'm an introvert. You're not that much of an introvert you can't speak. You might do it in a slightly quiet way, but you are responsible to let other people into your life and, let, and, and allow God to touch other people through your life. And it comes through your words. The encouraging thing I want to say is, at the end is this, and that, that is stop waiting for some feeling. Stop waiting for a feeling before you do something. God will use you more than you know if you actually just give him yourself. If you were here with Ivan and Isabel Allen, and they gave prophetic words, imagine you've got to give a, this is what God's wanting, speaking over you. He, he's going to give a word over everybody here. How would you feel? You wouldn't know how to do it. You'd have to trust a flow. So what happened? If you noticed, what they did often was, uh, thank you, Jesus, for, for, for Craig. They would, they would start with just a general thanksgiving, and then they would start beginning to say, this is what I see, and this is, and releasing it. Why is that? Because the way God uses us is like turning on the hot water tap. It runs cold and then it gets warmer. And it gets hot. Many, 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 many things of God start cold. What does that mean? I stand up here and I... This is a dangerous example. I stand up here and I start speaking and say, God, I hope there's something of you in this. And sometimes it starts... It feels pretty cold and... Sometimes, because I'm used to it now, I trust that God will run hot somewhere. He hasn't yet, so it's getting a little tricky today, but never mind. And he runs hot. And what I'm just saying to you is when you start giving to God and giving to other people a deliberate action of sharing yourself, you'll be surprised what begins to flow hot through that, which you didn't even see coming. It's about being open. Let's stand. Because the invitation for all of us today is, Lord, I want to be more open. It's pretty simple. There is more in you than you know. And the way that God will also release what he has for you is as you begin to say to him, this is who I am right now. So there are direct questions in your conversations, which is, who do you say that I am? What is going on for you right now? What are you feeling? What do you think? Where does it hurt? They're very, very clear questions that actually unlock God's spirit. You don't necessarily have that conversation with everyone, but you do have that conversation. And you do have it beyond your family. And so, Father, I just pray that you will release us into conversations with you and one another that accelerate life. And if you have an, a, a moment or if you, if you know that you're shut down because of something that's happened, people have spoken over you and said, nothing will ever come of you. The words in my house for children should be seen, not heard. And Father, wherever those words come to mind right now, I break their power over our spirits in the name of Jesus. I break the curse of silence. I break the curse of low self-esteem that says I have nothing to offer. 
I break the curse that says there's nothing in me that if it came out would be of value. And I speak death to that lie in the name of Jesus. And I call up in each person here, and if you want it, you can just receive it. I call up boldness to just be who you are and be hungry for saying, God, I want more of you. And I pray up courage in you to have conversations. God is not on Twitter because he responds and he responds face to face. And Father, I call up in us relationships and encounters with one another that will release life. Release truth in the name of Jesus. Truth is a person called Jesus. It's not a concept or a thought process. What's your dream this year? Where God stands before you and says, what would you like? You might also ask the question to Jesus as you share what your dream is, because often he will put his dream into you and it will feel like your dream. And he says, I actually gave you that dream because that's how I want to use you. And if you're like me, you would have thought, well, no, if you want to use me, it's got to be negative. That's the lie. So, Father, I pray that you release dreams and you release the uh, ability for us to give words to those dreams. But more importantly, we just ask that we would be part of your dream. So receive the Spirit of God to release in you the sound that he has for you this year. Thank him for the people he's put around you. Don't be an island. So many of us struggle to hear God and he's speaking through somebody right next to us. So Father, may we have ears to hear your voice to us this year.